Jamie Bozeman does everything at Golf Sling, including doing this interview with The Antidote. Jamie, thanks for coming. It's good to be here. Thank you. I may have introduced you as Jamie Bozeman, but I guess more correctly, I should have actually introduced you as Father James Bozeman. (laughs) That would work. It's weird to mingle the two, but yes, absolutely. You know, the funny thing is, I think that you must have been destined to be at your church, Jamie. After all, it is St. James Orthodox Church. I actually have a lot of people that don't know differently ask me about that. And in fact, when the story behind it, when my wife and I were finishing up my time at seminary and I was looking for an assignment, the church I'm involved with was being formed. And I got a phone call one evening from a friend who was letting me know that we'd been given a blessing by our bishop to serve at St. James Orthodox Church. And I thought, oh no, of all the names they could have picked for this (laughs) new church, you know, it was James of all of them. But it makes for an interesting conversation sometimes. And it has worked out. Yeah, absolutely. Something I'm interested in hearing about is, I've wondered if you have any form of, of a divide between your role in the church and your time as a musician. Well, I mean, in a sense, yes, and in a sense, no. So just sort of to backtrack, we came to Beaufort, South Carolina in 2012. It was my first parish. Um, I had only been a priest for a few months, and we've been with this parish. It's called a mission parish. It's small. It's a new church, and we're growing. We've been with them all 10 years of my priestly life, and I kind of determined early on that I wasn't going to, you know, the temptation is sort of to hide some of your rock and roll past when you kind of go this route. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's sort of, is is it easier to do that? And I decided that, you know, for myself, that wouldn't be terribly authentic. It wouldn't be really true to the reality. And on top of which, you know, there's YouTube, there's Google. People can find out whatever they want about you. So I I was always clear with people to say, you know, I've, I've been doing music for years. I became a priest later on and beyond that. And I still do it, much to my surprise, I'm still doing music. So there's a divide in the sense that the priority for me now is certainly doing the priest stuff you know i'm a priest that's what i am but you know i i don't think i would be who i am without the music i mean that's a, that's a big part of who i am a lot of what i use now as a priest working in a small mission i learned doing music you know how to basically take a small enterprise and go from zero to 60 with it or how to um i don't know like you know setting things up you know i mean really it's so many things i could say about it but there there's a separation the priority is clearly on the priesthood, but I make music, and it just is a natural thing for me to do, so that's what I do. How many fans do you have in your parish? <laughs> I, I don't know. I actually, after saying all that, I don't. at the same time, I don't exactly say, hey, you guys want to hear my new album? I don't do that. If people find out that I, I talk to them about it, and, and I actually, my, our folks actually really, I think for the most part, they're pleased to know that their priest has sort of a background in in this area, I guess you would say. And so it's never been a negative thing. They've always been curious. While I'm clear about what I've done, I don't make a big deal about it in the parish. I'm much more concerned about doing, you know, what a priest does and and then using that as sort of a, a leaping off point to talk to people about it. Well, maybe you should tell me, am I right that the Orthodox Church wasn't your background? Yeah, I, I grew up, my brother and I both, our father is, uh, was a, an evangelical minister in the uh, Christian and Missionary Alliance Church, and I grew up in that denomination. Both of us, along with Father Chris Foley, who's in luxury, my other band, obviously, 
Mm-hmm. Um, we were all um, a part of, of a Protestant evangelical Bible college. That's what I grew up with. I, I discovered orthodoxy sort of in a roundabout way, largely because of my brother, Father David Bozeman now, Lee Bozeman, and, and Father Chris Foley uh, kind of introducing me to it. So yeah, it was, it was something that came along much later in my life, yeah. I guess bringing all that up was a bit off topic because you and I are here to talk about your golf slang project. Sure. The thing is, and you've mentioned it too, is audiophiles like me first knew about you from the band Luxury. So you need to tell me, when you began golf slang, were fans expecting this new project to sound like Luxury? Well, I've done a lot of other things. It's funny. It's probably all one long thing that I've divided up under many different names. So, you know, to go way back when luxury went through the accident that those who know about the band, you know, are aware of if they've seen the movie parallel love, it's described in that movie about the band. Um, when we came through that accident, you know, I came through without major injuries. And so I didn't really have recovery time from that. And so I had a lot of energy still to do music whereas truthfully at the time it was just four of us at the time another five of us in the band but the other three were were much more um maybe reticent to jump back in right away and i was determined to do more music so i started writing stuff on my own and did some rather poor recordings under different names starting you know roughly in around 1995 1996 so that happened for a long time eventually i formed another band while luxury was more or less kind of inactive um that band was initially called canary and it became known as they sang as they slew and then seminary happened and so i still was writing music but i was by myself at this point really and luxury at that time which would have been from 2009 to about 2012 was definitely off of our radar and so i had started writing things under other names one of which was champion leader so there were all these sort of concepts and i guess i think your question is more about you know it's there's definitely a shift in what I've done with golf slang. I suppose I could just put everything under my own name and then just get rid of this sort of constant, as some of my friends tease me about, this constant shifting in, in names. But the name itself is always just kind of fun. A, a name for a band, it's a way of trying on a new outfit, I guess you might say. But the music, to me, it's not terribly different. But I think probably for those who are used to the guitar-driven stuff that I've done with Luxury for me to do something that leans much more into programming and samples and synthesizer stuff, yeah, I, I would imagine it sounds strange to some people who would be expecting something different, for sure, yeah. So if they were diehard luxury fans, you might be disappointing them. <laughs> it's, you know, it's possible, and I, and I wonder, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, um, without letting too much out of the bag, you know, luxury still does write, and my brother and I are, are collaborating quite a bit, and, and a lot of things are happening now, obviously. Things are leaning back into a period that I have a lot of fondness for. You know, the 80s and the early 90s, and particularly the 80s, were a time where, you know, synthesizers had kind of evolved into something, you know, less uh, gargantuan and prog rock and into something more pop-oriented but catchy and kind of mysterious. And I loved, I loved growing up with that music. It's never departed from my playlist, you know, growing up with, you know, guitar and, and synth-driven bands. And so right now, I think even with Luxury, there's a lot of that happening in, in the music world that sort of return to that. It's starting to influence, you know, some of what, what my brother writes and certainly has influenced what I'm writing. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, maybe 
maybe luxury will will <laughs> turn more toward what I'm riding. I don't know. We'll see. That's up to my brother, really. We've been speaking about champion leader. I've heard the song The Dead Don't Sing Alleluia. Its lyrics said, Hey, what are these scars that I bear? One from the wreck, one from taking your dare. Every hair turns gray when you feel the cares. Does that relate in any way to the car crash that Luxury had? Yeah, you know, the phrase itself, the song title itself is the principle that, as a Christian, you know, as a priest, the meaning for every person is is to glorify God, is to praise God. And if you're if you are dead, scripturally speaking, you can't say hallelujah. It's it's impossible. You can't offer praise. So the point is, you know, we ought to be alive. We ought to be alive spiritually and that can be something for everyone who turns to Christ. So, you know, I think your question is more about the lyrics. It certainly is. It's it's a remembrance of the accident in particular. The dare, I would I don't often reveal much about my lyrics because sometimes it's not as apparent, but the dare in this case was essentially my brother kind of daring me to go to seminary when he did. And I took the dare and <laughs> here I am, you know, as a priest, much to my own surprise. Unfortunately, not regretting it. No, no, actually not at all. Not at all. It's not something I ever planned. It's not something I really ever wanted. Um, and I had on multiple occasions, I openly said, I'll never my dad was a pastor. I, I saw how hard it was. I saw how difficult it was. And I'd worked in churches on and off on a lay, you know, as a lay leader. And then when I became Orthodox, I started thinking towards, you know, is there something more official or permanent that I could do? And uh, it was the first time really in my life I thought that way. And I, I never thought I would do this, but I've done it. Becoming a priest is certainly probably the best thing that I've ever done. I enjoy it more than anything I've ever done. But it's great because I think in a way it sort of helps to bring what I do musically into a much better place. It helps me to say things in a way that I couldn't before. So yeah, I mean, no regrets there, certainly. I guess I should actually bring this back on track. Sure. When did golf slang begin? Or did it even have a formal startup? You know, it really didn't. So I had started doing things under champion leader for a while. Champion leader, the term, I thought it sounded kind of like um, it had a, the feel of some sort of garish sales promotional thing, like champion leader. But the term itself, is a, it's a term that refers to Christ's mother, Mary, in the Orthodox tradition. So it kind of had two things that were going on there. So I'd started that um, and used that name in part, actually, to kind of keep my music in check. I thought, you know, if I'm going to name my music or my band after her it'll help me to make sure i'm being you know contemplating what i'm doing you know uh, and so i'm making music i did that for quite a while and i and i kind of decided at one point i wanted to switch it around so gosling itself kind of got its start just as a as a way to maybe be a little more humorous because it's kind of a funny name in its own way i grew up playing golf a little bit with my dad and my brother and they're both really good and I'm terrible. I'm just terrible. And, <laughs> I, and I grew to I grew to hate the game. I just I just it was so frustrating to get on the golf course with them. So, but I've always liked golf itself. And there's something really beautiful about this whole culture of golf. Um, it's humorous in a sort of strange way. And so it allowed me to have something kind of classy sounding golf. You know, this idea of golf slang. It's just funny words. You know, that niblick or whatever. You know, that you have that are in the golf vernacular that are all just kind of funny words. It was just an image that resonated with me where I'm, you know, 
I like melancholy, but I also like there's like you know describe some of what we do is sort of like pink and pastel and golf is so it's so tied up in that sort of image while at the same time it's very serious and it's very earthy kind of game when you get out there and it can be very gritty and very calculating and, and takes a lot of skill and I don't know it just kind of echoed with me when I did that so it got to start a couple of years ago and I just I like the way it feels might have been easier just to use my own name but my brother already did that with his and I thought there's enough Bozeman's now I don't need to do that I'll just I'll think of another name and golf slang is what kind of <laughs> kind of came to me you're stuck with it now I am totally <laughs> I like it I mean it's a good name it works because it's catchy and you're going to remember it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I hope so. Well, Golf Slang in 2020 put out Thy Room EP. Yeah. It has a song called A Marathon in the Nude, 14 Arrows. <laughs> you you got to tell me, that didn't come from personal experience. I mean, that's no, terrifying. No, no. Absolutely not. You know, originally the marathon runners, they ran an essentially naked, you know, unencumbered, um, but the the song itself is sort of this abstract image of kind of enduring things, I guess, and, and taking certain wounds, but maybe the wounds are more self-inflicted. Who knows, you know? Definitely not from personal experience, though. I don't run. I mean, there's no way I'm going to run unless you're chasing me. That was going to be my question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been in the music scene for decades. Is golf slang the real you? Or is this just another alter ego for you? Well, I would like to think that it's more like just trying on a different outfit. Like this week, you know, maybe I like this color or next week I like that color. Or maybe um, you buy a different kind of car than what you've driven in before. But it's still you doing the driving. It's you, the way you drive or the way you wear clothes. So in a sense, I mean, it's all the real me. There's no image or anything I'm trying to project. It's more of a way to sort of communicate another facet of what I do. I'm hoping in some ways shedding things that aren't really real to who I am, maybe. Which, again, it's like maybe it would be better just to use my own name. But this is interesting. It's something different that's that kind of helps me personally to stay in the background, um, which I'm, I'm more interested in these days and let the music sort of do the talking. And, you know, and then through that, you know, who I am can be can or maybe in some cases isn't known as much maybe where it's needed one of the things i've intentionally tried to do with especially more recently is like you know even the photography and stuff that i've tried to do for for the band i I don't usually have my face on it i i save that for church and for um when i have to be in a photo for something not because i'm trying to be coy but just maybe intentionally to say it's not so much important that people you know there's facial recognition it's more that you know there's music here if you want to know me, then just listen to the music and read what I'm saying, and that'll tell you something. Maybe not everything, and maybe it's worth, you know, in some cases going, is this is this really what he thinks, you know? Or maybe he's playing with an idea here, you know, to communicate something different. Well, what you just said certainly fits in with your online presence. It's invisible. You know, golf slang is not the easiest thing to find. <laughs> Good. I've succeeded then. Is social media a chore? Um, no, I just, I find it, I do avoid some of it. I've been probably irresponsible and not used it enough to promote this. But the truth of the matter is really, I've never really been very good at self-promotion. And honestly, too, there's a side of it. You think about it, too. You try to promote something and then it doesn't take off. And there's the disappointment that goes with that. On top of it, too, whether it would take off or not, 
like I mentioned to you, you know, I, I, I tend to do this more for my own enjoyment. It's a two-edged sword because then you, you know, you can be very satisfied by just posting something on Bandcamp and you're like, oh, there it is. You know, it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, when really, you know, maybe it would be like we've done with, with the new Golf Sling EP working with Velvet Blue Music. Um, it's a way to bring that potentially to a larger audience. Do I care? I mean, I, I think I do. I mean, I want people to hear my music, but it's very fulfilling just to make music and then have it fall into the hands that, you know, are going to appreciate it. So I, it's weird. I'm My brother and I would both share that sort of same, I don't know what you would call it, an apprehension of self-promotion. It's not very helpful when you're trying to make a band work, you know. <laughs> it's good, It's good. like, with, particularly with luxury that we have a couple of us who are much more geared and saying, okay, here's what we need to do. You know, here's how we get the, you know, this out here. Here's a, you know, here's a publicist we can work with. And whereas with me, you know, I make, I make this music, I make it in my little studio at home and, and I post it online and I let people know about it and I wait and see if any of it'll take off. So that's not, it's not the best way to do music. I'll say that much. Well, something about the way you make music is that the EPs from Golf Slang are really more like collections because mm-hmm. the songs weren't created at the same time, but actually over a few years. Mm-hmm. How come? It's my writing process. You know, it's not as intentional. I, I write a lot of music, a lot of music, and most of it just isn't worth anybody's time. Um, most people would probably discard a lot of things that they write, whereas I'll keep them and I'll go back to them over and over until something, like sometimes I really think, you know, this demo has a lot of potential. And I usually filter things first through my brother. I'll say, hey, what do you think of this? And he's, he's always honest, supportive, but honest. And a lot of times he'll say, yeah, you know, it's okay. And I'll put it aside. Or he'll say, no, I hate it, you know, and I'll put it aside too. And revisit it. And sometimes those songs will, will transform, you know, over time. And then I'll hear something in it and think, oh, you know, I, I know I could do something with this. So a lot of those sorts of, that, that's just kind of how I write. I let things ferment i think sometimes for a time and then come back to them and then practically speaking i used to try to put out a recording every year on my birthday just because it was sort of a gift i'd get you know here's something if you like my music here you go and um i couldn't even really keep that schedule because i mean i'm i'm busy as a priest that's just the truth of the matter i want to make sure i'm prioritizing the things i should prioritize thus the music kind of Right, I think rightly so, kind of on the back burner a lot of times. And then when there's time again and I have, I have freedom, I'll finish up, you know, like a, a collection of things. So it takes time. I mean, it just takes time. It's also cool that a lot of your music are instrumentals. Yeah. Like you had an EP called Swatch. Mm-hmm. That's just full of instrumentals. Mm-hmm. With songs called Lacoste, Esprit, and Jordache. So yeah. know, like, are you trying to show off your old school fashion sense? Yes. <laughs> yes. Actually, the thing with the instrumentals, I think those at times have been, I don't want to write things for the purpose of success, but I, I would say it this way. when I, With Champion Leader, some of my more well-received stuff has been my instrumentals. I don't know if that's a critique of my singing voice. I don't know. I sing and, and write lyrics because I want to do that regardless. But with Swatch, I had started writing a couple of tunes. I liked the way they felt. And like I said, I've always, always, even before it was became refashionable, I've loved the music of the 80s. I had all these great memories. I, I In high school, uh, one of my friends, um, a girl I knew in high school, gave me her 
Swatch watch as a going away present when I moved to my junior year. And I got thinking about that watch. And in fact, the cover art is the best representation I could come up of the face of that watch. And it sort of became sort of a, um, an image that I kind of drew from to gather together some of the music that's on there, because much of that is sort of a conglomeration of things that I'd written over the previous two, three years. You know, there, a lot of those were sort of little homeless tunes that when I had one or two songs ready for Swatch, it was like, oh, wait, this makes more sense. And so I went back in and reworked a song here or there, or I, you know, converted, actually in a couple of cases, converted more guitar-driven songs to largely synth and sample-oriented things. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot that happens with that. I've been trying to kind of rethink how I write things. In a way, it was sort of a, uh, an experiment, I guess you'd say, mm-hmm. to see what I could do. It's a little different, but it's, it's, it is what it is. It works together. Do you ever think that words can sometimes get in the way of a song? Yes, and even so, you know, I, I think that um, there have been times where I'm like, I think to myself, this would have been better if I just hadn't said anything at all. So I guess you might say that about that. Um, I mean, it's hard as, as an artist, especially as someone, I, I've always written lyrics, always, since high school, you know, well, at least that long, or maybe earlier. And so while I would say I'm not as accomplished as my brother, my brother's a fantastic lyricist, just he can say so much by saying so little, as may become more evident in this interview, <laughs> I don't have that skill. So, I mean, the temptation is always there to, to talk about what you're thinking about. But those instrumentals kind of challenged me. And I hadn't tried this before, but really express things without words, like to, to evoke moods or images. It's tricky when you set up a theme and you think to yourself, how can I, without words in this instrumental record, convey these sort of feelings or, or themes? That's tricky. I think it's very hard. I mean, it's, it's very hard for an instrumental album, I think, personally, to not be boring. You have to work hard to make it interesting. Well, there's lots of lyrics to be found on your latest release, because June 2nd, Golf Slang dropped the EP, How I Lost My Voice. Mm-hmm. This release is different, I mean, compared to your other releases, because yes. I find the songs really connect to each other. It was, it was a calculated effort. And again, like I said, my brother plays a big part when I'm writing, and, and he's, you know, he's very, very honest. Before this ever was going to be on Velvet Blue, I started writing and I was getting his opinion. And I probably had about eight or nine songs uh, at that point. And, you know, he, he and I were talking about it and, and kind of he just said, whittle it down. Just take your best five songs. And that was actually a tough choice. There were some others that I liked, actually songs that I liked better. And that was helpful. But what ended up happening in it was because of what was removed it was very interesting to sort of see a, a general theme and a feel come out of it. And I guess getting older, a lot of that, you know, growing older, while not being old, but growing older, you know, you, a lot of this sort of surfaces in, I think a lot of our, you know, a lot of us who are musicians surfaces in our writings, a lot of reflection and maybe questioning or even declaring things about that, that I, that kind of popped up on this. You segued right into my next question. Perfect. <laughs> I meant to do that. It's interesting because I find that the lead single in Even Strokes, and as mm-hmm. you've mentioned earlier, it sounds as if it could have been time warped from the early 80s. You know, it's very new wave. Right. But that's what I was going to bring up, that growing older seems to be a common theme on a couple of songs. The obvious one being Let's Grow Old. 
Mm-hmm. But then on In Even Strokes, the song says, Half light on an evening stroll, old men complain, sunbathers squeeze the last life out of the sun. Are you really feeling your age? Yes and no. It's funny how fast life goes by. You always hear that when you're young. I remember parents of children saying, you know, hang on to this time. It doesn't last. And it's like, you know that, you know, uh, my, my oldest son was born when I was in my late 20s and my youngest was born early in my 30s. And you know it then and you already feel a bit older. You hit your 30s and you think, wow, you know, I'm getting older. And then before you know it, your oldest is in his mid 20s, as mine is, and, and my youngest is getting ready to graduate from high school this year. And how fleeting and futile life can feel without a foundation and without meaning to undergird it. And um, you always know you're going to grow older, but gosh, when it actually gets here, you think, that went by quick. So yeah, definitely. I, I think I'm, I'm feeling my age, but I don't really feel, I don't feel any older than I, than I ever have, I guess you might say, in a way. We always imagine ourselves at 20 years of age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I don't know that I feel, if I was being generous, I'd say I, I don't feel a day over 30, you know, but I'm, I'm 51 and, and I don't feel any different, but I, you know, I look in the mirror and when I get up in the morning, <laughs> my body feels older. And I, I was telling someone not long ago, I realized, I think in the last year, it's like all of a sudden it's, it's hit me all the things that you kind of laughed at with your parents or your older friends and you're like oh i'm eating my words now (laughs) i'm definitely getting older you've spoken about connecting with velvet blue music and i gotta say they might be the coolest label on the planet they've released stuff from favorites of mine like starfire 59 joy electric denison mars and fine china the interesting thing is that all the bands on the label could be considered left of center does that kind of label fit golf slang? Definitely. And I, and I, I would say in the sense of that, um, I, I, would say, I would say with a caveat, I'm not sure what you mean by left of center. <laughs> if you mean maybe unusual, different, um, if we're talking politically, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Generally, that's all of the above. Sure, sure. Well, I would say this. The thing about, about Velvet Blue that fits golf slang is twofold. One would be that I've known Jeff Cloud musically since the 90s, and I remember meeting him when Luxury had just gotten its start, watching what he was doing um, with his own music, and then developing Velvet Blue. And in fact, I, I had put a song on, I think, his first compilation CD that he did way, way back in the mid-90s. I've appreciated Velvet Blue's staying power. Like Jeff consistently is putting out cool stuff in a way that's, again, you know, this all-important word, which is kind of a double-edged sword these days, a really authentic, in an authentic way. And so I, I think for what I'm doing with, with golf slang, as a person who does music sort of as a secondary thing, but also is trying to do something that has a very specific artistic angle that maybe looks at life a little differently, I think that fits what golf slang is doing, Um in that sense, I think it, I think it's perfect for what we do, and I I was really, really pleased that Jeff was you know interested in putting this out. So it was great of him to do it, and he's super easy to work with. I just I just got to say that he's just great, easy person to work with. You know, something that I think is reality in today's age is that artistry doesn't sell. Yeah, it's true. Growing up in the '80s and then going to college in the late '80s and early '90s. Um, 
I've, I've told my sons about this. We, we get in these conversations about music and they would say, what was it? Li-? It's, it's so funny. I feel like I'm like some super, super old person or something. What was it like dad to go through kind of the change in music in the nineties? Well, kids, you know, and I you say when I was a boy, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's interesting to talk to them about that because in college, you know, at that time, the alternative music scene, which didn't even really totally exist. You had the new wave stuff. You had, the punk scene was kind of transforming into something else. And then in the nineties, all of a sudden, you know, we had, uh, I tell them about a local radio station in Georgia where we were, went from playing, you know, Mariah Carey and, uh, you know, Michael Jackson and a lot of the pop things that were out there. And all of a sudden, you know, Nirvana appears and almost overnight, all the radio stations changed. It was startling. It was like you, it was like you won, you know, all of a sudden we were like, all of us who love that music, we were the winners because all of a sudden what we loved was on the radio and like the craziest stuff was on these big radio stations and that lasted for a while. But then you kind of realize like all of a sudden now we are the establishment, you know? And so what is there to kind of push against for that creativity? And so I think it's a strange thing today because where is, you know, that was, it was really cool to be a part of that, you know, the punk and the, you know, the alternative and and whatever you want to call it scene at that time because it was it was resisted and that resistance gave you an edge it gave you something in a good way to kind of push against and and i wonder if that exists i mean it still does exist but it just seems like so much that was not in the forefront has been mainstreamed and i wonder you know what does that do to music what does it do to the way we think about things um i have a lot of questions actually about that i think you and i are on the same page with that yeah. Hey, I want to bring in the title track, How I Lost My Voice. Sure. The lyrics begin with, there's a place I used to know in front of a mic played the show. Hasn't that come back with golf slang? Maybe. I mean, probably no, in one sense, because really the only playing out that, that I've done really playing out, actually proper playing shows, was with Luxury last year we did two shows. And it was great fun. It was a lot of fun. But I don't know that place anymore. I, I kind of realized, I thought, this is a lot of fun. This is great. It's, it's not what I do. And it's not who I am anymore. Although at one time it was, you know, it was what I lived for. We, you know, you'd work all week with your day job to support your, your music habit. Exactly. Um, you know what I mean? And, and so, and I'm glad, actually, truthfully, it's, I'm, I'm glad that sort of the past, I, I wouldn't even know when it comes to golf slang, truthfully, I would have no idea how to play pretty much any of this live. So much of this is created in a process that I, I would have to go back and figure out what I was playing most of the time. I'm truly glad there's really not much of a market for that at this stage. I suppose that could change, but that's largely part of my past, and that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm happy with that. It was a good past, you know? You've already admitted that you do golf slang because you're selfish. You're doing it for yourself. <laughs> what do you think your listeners will gain from it? I don't know. It's not that that's not important. I guess what I hope is there's, there's a priest that was a mentor of sorts for me, and I quote him constantly to my people. His name was Father Thomas Hopko. And I did not know Father Thomas well, but he's a well-known priest in our circles, uh, he's written several books. He was present at my ordination, which was really an amazing thing for reasons that aren't obvious to everybody. 
but if you knew him, it would you know you would understand it. But he um he had a series of fifty five maxims to live by. Like he couldn't boil it down to ten or twelve. He just had he had fifty five for some reason, and they're all really good. But one of them is kind of a strange one, and and one of the things he says to paraphrase him basically is. And maybe he said this exactly. He said something like, do not try to convince anyone of anything, which is kind of strange as a Christian. It's sort of like it seems seems to us that evangelism is trying to convince people of certain things. But I, I think it's really not that. I think being a priest and being a Christian, to be a full Christian is to be convinced of the things that are true in myself, You know, to repent of the things that don't belong in me, and then... You know, as a Christian, we're told, preach the gospel. So you just, you tell people about the truth of Christ, and that's mostly communicated through your life and the way you live it. So when I write lyrics, um, I said before that one of the names I worked under was Champion Leader, and the reason I chose that name was to kind of keep things in check. When I'm writing lyrics, I try to think, you know, is this communicating something that's consistent with what I believe to be true about what it means to be a human being, especially one who serves Christ, as I proclaim that I do, but also too, you know, does it convey something that is just true about life in general? So what do I hope? Um, I hope that it doesn't discourage people when they read what I write. I hope it encourages them or makes people to think a little bit. I hope for myself that when I say certain things, I'm hoping I'm not dwelling or, you know, being self-pitying or, you know, egotistical or trying to push something about myself. Most of all, I don't want. One of the things I've really learned, actually, Matt Hinton, who plays guitar um, in Luxury, we were talking about some lyrics at one point, and he mentioned them being preachy, and I thought that is a good point because there's no need to be preachy. Just tell the truth about yourself and about how things really are, things that are really true, not just you know maybe your opinion about yourself, but what's really true about yourself and about the world, and then let people decide what they will about that. And that's all. Really, that's all. That's all I can do, and that's all I really need to do for myself. Be an artist, you know, be a priest, um, be a husband, be a father, and be a Christian, really. Jamie, i got to say, this has been an honor having you on The Antidote. Thanks so much for coming. I really appreciate it. It's been fun answering the questions, and you made me think a little bit about my own lyrics, which is good.